Well, hi, everybody. I'm Jason Cusick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey of Faith, and I want to say hi to everybody at our Torrance campus that we're connected at this point in the service together. Great to see you guys, and it was great to be with you last week as well in person. Also, I want to say hi to everybody that's watching us online. Hey, before I get into the message today, I just want to say um, that as we're moving toward the end of the year here, Some great news to share. Our church has actually increased in size by 20% uh, from last year. It's really kind of cool. And it's not so much a numbers thing that we're really as excited about. We're excited because what we try to do together here as a church is create a church experience where you feel comfortable inviting your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers into a place where uh, the faith and Christianity and the Bible and God are easy to understand and easy to apply. So I want to say thank you to those of you uh, that are doing that, and that's a big part of your prayer as well as your relationships. So the good news, we're up by 20%. The bad news is our, our, um, our attendance is outweighing our giving. Uh, so we're outpaced in that. So while we're growing, it's the, the giving that we all do together that is going to continue to help us. So if you give regularly, I want to say a big thank you for that. Um, that's a big part of my spiritual life. I know it's a big part of your spiritual life. If you're thinking about your end of year giving around this time, this would be a great time to be generous, to continue to help us all together to be able to do this. And then in addition to that, if you're new to faith or new to your walk with Jesus, you might not realize it, but how churches operate, we we don't have a a product that we sell. So it's not a for-profit thing. The, The way we're able to keep doing everything we're doing is each one of us contributes. And so we all give, and then together we're able to do the things that we're doing here and in the community and around the world. So if you've never started your giving journey, uh, this would also be a really great time to do that. I think it was about a month after I started following Jesus that I started giving a percentage of what God has blessed me with. And it, it, it not only changed my spiritual life, it changed how I relate to my finances as well. I started prioritizing God first, and then the rest of my spending came after that. So if you're interested in doing that, we do have some options here for regular giving, for recurring giving. If you have some questions about that or want to talk that through with us, we'd love to be able to help you with that. But thank you for that. Let me get into our message for today. We are in week four of a five-week series called Simple Faith. And what we're doing is we're going section by section through a book in the New Testament called Galatians. Now, this uh, book in the New Testament is actually a letter. It's a 2,000-year-old letter written by Paul, who was one of Christianity's first missionaries. And what was happening in uh, the day where Paul is writing this letter is that he's writing to a group of people living in an area called Galatia, which is why it's called Galatians. It's the letter to the Galatians. And Paul had helped this group of people get a very simple faith in Jesus, believing that Jesus had died for their sins and rose again and that they should live for him. And they were living a very simple faith And then shortly thereafter, some very strict religious leaders came and said, it's so great that you have a simple faith, but that's not enough. You also need to begin obeying 
the 613 Jewish commandments in the Old Testament. And they kind of got overwhelmed. It was like, yeah, simple faith is good, but if you want to be a real Christian, you need to follow these Old Testament laws. And so Paul writes them this letter to explain why that isn't necessary and how having a real Christian faith is about a simple faith. It's not about complicating it with the rules and the legislations and the laws. And so what the Galatians were wrestling with internally is what sometimes we wrestle with, and it's this question. What would it take for me to live a real Christian life? Because if we're not careful, I think the temptation of any spiritual or religious person is to move from having a walk of faith to religion and rules and rituals and kind of religious handrails. And then we get into a very external religious way of doing things rather than an internal walk of faith in God. And let me give you a little illustration that I thought of that relates to this. Um, and I, I actually was thinking about this topic in, of all places, a Walgreens restroom. <laughs> now, as I'm setting this up, let me just say Jill uh, Leewold, who's going to be doing our final message in the Galatians series next week, when Jill read that I was going to be telling a story about being in the Walgreens restroom, she said, is this another story where you get stuck or confused in a restroom? And then I realized, I didn't realize, I have a lot of stories of getting stuck or confused in public restrooms. So uh, this, is one, this is one more. And then I'm, what I've decided to do is I'm gonna hold off all of those stories for a while, and then if you come here regularly, then maybe a year from now you'll be like, hey, we haven't heard how you've been confused in restrooms in a while, you know, and then I'll, hey, funny, you should say that. So I'm in this Walgreens and I need to use the restroom. The employee opens it up for me she opens the door and it's dark inside. And I was like, where's the light switch? She says, it's on a sensor. And I was like, okay, that's fine. She said, but the sensor's in the back wall. And I was like, oh, so I have to go all the way into the restroom to trigger the sensor. She said, yeah. I said, okay, I can do that. She said, but uh, the door has to be closed. <laughs> so you're getting, there's a design flaw here? So I realized I have two choices, right? I could just go in and then and, and close the door and then just walk in the dark and try to get there. But I had a better idea. I was like, why don't I throw the door open and then allow it to slowly close. And then as I move toward the back of the wall in the restroom, there will be a diminishing amount of light. And then by the time I get to the back, then uh, I will trigger the sensor. And I thought that was the best idea. That being said, I didn't calculate the, the spring tension in the door because then what happened is I got in and the door slammed shut and now I'm standing in pitch blackness in a Walgreens restroom like trying to figure out how to activate a sensor. So I had a decision at that point. I was going to just go open the door again. Now, I'm not a germaphobe, but I don't want to start fiddling around to find the handle of the bathroom. And then I also had a choice. Like, I could just start feeling my way around. Again, I'm not interested in touching things to make my way to the sensor. So I had a decision to make. I was like, I'm going to take the great walk of faith. I'm, I'm going to just start walking and hope 
that I get to this place of illumination and, and the light will come on. And so I walked, and I think it took me two months to get to that sensor, and then the light went on, the hero's journey was complete, uh, mission accomplished, um, end of story. Um, so what does that story have to do with the Bible? Nothing. I just wanted to tell you that story. I thought it was a fun story. I thought I'd tell you. No, it, it does relate. When I left, I was thinking about what we were going to be talking through as going through this book of Galatians. That in that moment, what I wanted was handrails. I wanted to know exactly how many steps. I wanted to hold on to something. I wanted something that I could see so that I could reach my final destination. But what I needed to do was walk by faith. I needed to step out and not depend on things I could see or touch. And I I think that's similar to what Paul is trying to tell these Galatians. Because as spiritual people, maybe as religious people, our temptation is to uh, find our certainty and our confidence in things we can touch and we can feel. Maybe you grew up in a religious tradition where it was very clear, do this, don't do this. Here's the commandments that you should keep. Here's the things that if you break these commandments, then you do this and this, and then you're back in good. Or here's the rituals. And, or it's your personality. You are a rule keeper. You find great security and confidence when you know exactly what's going to happen. Paul is encouraging people in Galatians, and I think in us, to have a simple walk of faith. In fact, in one of the other letters Paul writes, he describes the spiritual life like this. He says, we live by believing, or we live by faith, not by seeing. What we're going to see here is that Paul is encouraging the Galatians to let God lead them and to not be dependent or focused or overly committed to rules and rituals and commandments for how their life should go. So here's the main idea of what we're gonna talk about today. The best way to grow in simple faith is learning to follow the Holy Spirit. Now, after we finish this series, we're actually gonna do a couple of weeks talking just about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? How does God lead us by way of the Holy Spirit? But today, we're just gonna see what Paul has to say about this to the Galatians because he introduces this idea that a life of faith, growing in the faith, is not about having a checklist of do's and don'ts and doing more things and doing less of these things, that the spiritual life is really about allowing God to lead us. Let's see how he talks about this in his letter to the Galatians. He says, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Now the law he's talking about here, he's referring to the 613 Old Testament commandments written to the Jews. We find them in the Old Testament, 613 of them, 
And when he says slavery law, he's not actually saying that the law is bad because in other places in this letter and in other letters he wrote, he said the law is good, it's holy, it tells us something about God and it tells us, uh, it gives us a barometer for even how difficult it is to actually live up to the full humanity that God has for us to live up to. What he's saying is slavery to the law, first of all, the 613 commandments in the Old Testament were never intended for non-Jewish people which the people in Galatia were non-Jewish. But also it was always God's desire to help the Jewish people live in a way where it was not about external commands. It was about a life of faith on the inside. In fact, there's a wonderful quote from one of the Jewish Old Testament prophets named Jeremiah where he is speaking on behalf of God And look at what he says about this change that God was going to make in God's people from external 613 commandments to a life of faith. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. It will not be like the old covenant I made with their ancestors. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Our tendency as human beings is to be external. Give me the rules, give me the rituals, give me the commands, and then I'll check them off and I'll do them and then I'll feel like I'm right with God. But that's religion. And a lot of times we can be very religious but not actually have a relationship with God. God wants to move from the external to the internal. In this area of Galatia, these are non-Jewish Christians and Jewish Christians show up who are very strict and religious and they believe the non-Jewish people should start living more in line with the Jewish laws, kosher laws and celebrating certain holidays. And there was one specific Jewish ritual practice that they were really big on and that was circumcision. In Judaism, circumcision is a body modification made to men, uh, young boys when they're little, if they convert later than when they're older, when they're men, and it's a body modification, and the idea is there is a physical mark on a man that is, that, that is a, an external sign that this is a man who is part of the family of God, and he is in the faith of Abraham. And so these Strict Jewish Christians showed up in Galatians and said, look, you guys aren't Jewish, but if you really want to be a Christian, you need to be circumcised. And this made Paul very angry. Here's what Paul wrote. He said, listen, I, Paul, this is one of two places in the book of Galatians where we get the sense that Paul is actually pulling the pen out of the hand of the guy dictating the letter and saying, give me that, give me that pen. I, Paul, and he says, I tell you this, if you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. And then he says, I'll say it again, which I, I just love somebody saying that, but it's also good to note that when you read the New Testament, even the Old Testament, when you read the Bible, you're reading a document that was intended for an oral culture. People back then were not opening their Bible and reading it. So in an oral culture, if you want to make a point, 
you repeat it. That's why the Bible tends to be so repetitive. It says, I'm going to say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, look, if you want to obey God's commandments, it's not best nine out of ten. If you want to obey one, you have to obey all 613. And if you break one, you break it all. And then he gets really upset about this issue of circumcision. I won't read it to you here, but go home and read this on your own. The next verse is basically Paul saying, listen, if you guys are so into circumcision, why don't you just go ahead and cut it all the way off? I mean, it's a very harsh, blunt thing that Paul is saying. He is very upset. What is he trying to do? He's saying a major problem with religious people is they connect with God and then they revert back into religion. And that's what we have to guard against. If we're going to grow in having a simple faith in Jesus, here's one way that we can grow. It's that we need to guard against falling back into our old ways of religious rule keeping. When I first became a follower of Jesus, I showed up at this church and I looked around and I was like, okay, what are the rules? What am I supposed to wear? What movies am I supposed to go to and not go to? How am I supposed to talk? Who am, you know, like, like what are the rules around? How often am I supposed to pray? Things like that. And the people in that church, they were like, oh, Jason, that's, that's not how following Jesus works. And I was like, well, how does it work? He said, well, you invite the person of Jesus into your life and then God fills you up with his Holy Spirit and then you live in communication with the Holy Spirit and then God directs you. I mean, you can read the Bible to get a better sense of what that looks like, but then you're, you're following God's leading. And I was like, oh, okay. So I started doing that and then shortly after I was like, but what do I wear and who do I vote for and stuff like that. And then very quickly, there was not a shortage of Christians that answered that question. Here's how you, here's what you should wear. Here's who you should vote for. Make sure you don't celebrate Halloween and don't do this and make sure you do that. And they had a whole list of things. They were very quick to provide their preferences and traditions and convictions. But then as I read more about Jesus' teaching, I'm like, wait, I'm not finding any of that in there. It's very easy for us to allow ritualism and religionism into a faith of Jesus, and and that is a component of false teaching. It goes from legalism to judgmentalism to exclusivism, and that's false teaching. The problem with false teaching is just a little bit spreads really quickly. In fact, that's what Paul says. He he uses a a baking metaphor. Look at what he says. This false teaching, this religionism, this rule keeping, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Now, I'm not a baker, so I had to go on Google and try to figure that out. But just a little bit of yeast, that's what spreads throughout bread and causes bread to rise. And so what Paul is saying is, it just takes a little bit 
and then it spreads. And suddenly your life, your spiritual life is more about religiosity and rule keeping than it is about a faith in God. And we don't think Paul made this up. Paul was talking about very strict religious, Jewish religious leaders who were requiring the 613 commandments. We think Paul got this from Jesus because at one point, Jesus said, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So that metaphor is we just gotta be careful because just a little bit of religious rule keeping can kind of creep back in and then it can become unhealthy to our whole spiritual life. Now, that yeast metaphor can go a little bit more. Let me share with you, just let me show you this picture. This is delicious, right? This is a hard time to be, I'm gonna have this up here for a little while. Y'all gonna go get some bread afterwards. But here, this is bread without yeast in it. And this is bread with yeast in it. And it's not an equal size comparison. But the idea, here's two other ways that yeast is referred to in the Bible. Um, Part of the process, when you put yeast into bread, it actually goes through a fermentation process. It's actually corrupting and somewhat destroying the integrity of the bread in order for it to expand. That's what false teaching does with us. That's what religious rule keeping does. You put a little bit in there and it ruins the integrity of a simple faith in Jesus. Here's the other thing it does. You put a little bit of yeast And and what the yeast is doing is it's causing a chemical reaction that turns the sugar into alcohol. And then basically the the bread is, is, is burping, as it were, and it's creating these holes. So when you have this kind of bread and you put yeast in it, it actually looks like there's more bread. But there's not. There's just more holes. And this is what happens with false teaching because sometimes what will happen is we get into religious rule keeping and we get into legalism and in churches like ours, maybe we, we get into like increasing our Bible knowledge but our Bible knowledge is outpacing our spiritual maturity and then we get puffed up and it looks like there's more to us than there is, but we're actually just filled with hot air. You know what I'm saying? That's the false teaching that's going on, and that's what he's warning the Galatians, and that's what he's warning us against. So we need to do our work to guard against that, and here's something you can do about that. Identify one area of your old life that has crept back in and surrender it to God. Is there some area of your old life? I'm talking about... Maybe the beginning of your spiritual life started with a lot of curiosity about God and maybe you found yourself kind of like talking to God throughout the way, throughout the day and, and being interested in spiritual things and reading the Bible and growing and things like that. And for whatever reason, now your spiritual life is just a little bit more like a checklist. Did I go to church? Did I read the thing? Did I not do the other thing? Am I doing this thing? And you've lost some of that first love. And what would it take to to build some practices into your life and to rediscover a relationship with God that's not about the checkboxes? And I'll I'll tell you, this is something I have to be very present of in my life. 
when it comes to the Bible. See, kind of an occupational hazard that I have as a pastor is a big part of my life is reading and understanding the Bible and then finding ways to communicate what this ancient document says in a way that's relevant to us today. But if I'm not careful, this becomes transactional. It becomes tactical. And then I'm not just reading about God. And I'm not just having a relationship with God. And I have to be very intentional that I don't slip into making my spiritual life my job. And sometimes we do that. Jesus becomes one of those tasks that we have to do along with all the other stuff we have to do. And that's the religious person's burden, you know? And that's what he's kind of trying to talk to them about. It's not about rules and rituals. It's about this living relationship with God. Now, does that mean there's no rules? Does that mean there's no laws? I mean, if, if, if freedom is what the spiritual life is about, then I say yes to Jesus and then I can kind of do whatever I want, right? Well, that's what Paul talks about next. Look what he says. He says, you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And so we have that God says, no, this is, this is a life of freedom. This is not a life of rule keeping. You're free. Now, use that freedom. And that's the other way that we can grow in that simple faith is by doing this, to follow the Holy Spirit, not your sinful urges. And let me explain what I mean by sinful urges. We human beings live in a regular tension between altruism and selfishness. And I think the New Testament writers in particular, but I think it's something that goes throughout the Bible, that it seems as if us human beings don't have a necessarily equal tension. It's kind of we trend toward self-preservation and self-protection. And so what God is wanting us to do is he, he wants to free us from guilt and shame and fear and then release us to a more altruistic way of living, which means we have to kind of say no to that kind of self-preserving bent that we all have. And we do that by saying yes to God's Holy Spirit living within us. Paul puts it like this. He says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. He says, say yes to God working in and through you and then you're not gonna give in to these self-preserving and sometimes self-destructive urges that all of us human beings have. And then what, what does it look like? What does it look like when we give in to those urges. Well, he gives some examples here. He says, you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, 
quarreling, going off on people on the internet. Oh, wait, that's not in there. Uh, selfish ambition, dissension, division. You know, and, and a good thing to remember, when you read something like this, this is not a, 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 a check, these are not check boxes. You don't go off, nope, nope, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Of course, if you do that, you get down to the last one and he goes, and other sins like these, and you're like, oh shoot, I'm probably in there. It's not check boxes, it's more like, is this the kind of person I am? Now, some of you are looking at this and you're going, I am seeing, I do have outbursts of anger. I, I don't have a problem with alcohol, but I do have a problem with drunkenness. It's just like lustful pleasures, yeah, quarreling. I'm always fighting with people. I'm always arguing with people. I think people are doing great. I love people, but I am jealous of them. And that occupies a part in my heart. So there's something about following God's Holy Spirit and allowing God to help us identify those areas and then move towards something else. Because he also says, here's the bad stuff, but here's the good stuff. He says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He said, there's no law against these things. Going back to that idea of the 613 commandments. Look, if you are living in this space, you're not like, oh, am I, am I doing what the 613 commandments? Is there a law against these? No. This is, this is does your life look like this? And maybe as you're looking at this, you're going, yeah, I got some, maybe the others. Maybe I need to work on something. And I think a great goal in growing in the spiritual life is not checking the boxes of, did I go to church? Have I read the Bible enough? Do I give enough? Do I, you know, have I, do I pray enough times? Have I done that? I think that's a, a rule-keeping tactical way of measuring spiritual growth. Because I know a lot of people that go to church all the time and they read the Bible all the time, but they don't have this. Maybe this is a better step. Prayerfully seek to grow in one area of the fruit of the Spirit that he describes. Let's put that list back up there. Can you look in one of those areas and you go, yeah, I think, I, I, I think that's an area I need to, to open myself up more to. I have this tension inside me toward altruism and self-preservation. I think... I think God's wanting me to be more of a person of peace or, 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 or experience more joy. What that look like? I can tell you what mine are. Mine are self-control and patience. And not so much self-control when it comes to like, oh, I've got to control my, you know, my, my drinking or, or sleeping around or something like that. That might be yours. That isn't mine. Mine is self-control of my thoughts and feelings because my thoughts and feelings can easily spin out and take me in a direction that's not healthy. And I have to, sometimes I just have to stop. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and they brought something up and I was like, I was just silent. And they were like, what's going on? And I was like, I'm kind of thinking about this. And what I was really doing is I was like, Holy Spirit, guide me in this. Direct my thoughts and feelings right now. Now, what I think is really interesting about him using the metaphor of fruit of the Spirit, it's like a tree and a fruit metaphor. That if we follow this all the way through, we're the trees, the Holy Spirit is the nourishment coming through us, 
and that our lives produce fruit. To what end? For other people. See, sometimes we look at this and we go, I want to be more patient. Well, that's great to be more patient internally, but what God wants is you to be more patient with those people that you are impatient with. The fruit is of no benefit to the tree itself. The fruit is the benefit of the person enjoying the fruit. You might be like, God, I want to have more faith in you. Well, that's great, but how much better is it that God produces in you a life of faithfulness and you are more faithful in your relationships? How great is it if I have more personal self-control in my thoughts and feelings, but how much better is it that I have more self-control in the words that I share with other people? Because what's happening here in this section of Galatians is Paul is now pivoting. And he's pivoting from this internal spiritual life. He's saying, stop being external with your rules and regulations. Start living a life internally from the direction of God. And then he's now pivoting it to say, and this will benefit your relationships. And that's how he concludes the whole book. Because right after he talks about the fruit of the spirit, he says this, let us not become conceited or puffed up, full of hot air, or provoke one another with our lack of self-control or impatience. We're poking each other, we're provoking each other. Or to be jealous of one another, again, an expression of our own need for self-preservation, our own selfishness. He said, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous So what should we do instead? We'll talk about that next week. That's how we're going to finish it off. So would you all stand? We're going to close our service today. Hey, this is what we talked about today. If we really want to grow in a simple faith, it really comes from that personal relationship with God by following the Holy Spirit. So this week, guard against falling back into having your faith being about a checkbox. Oh, I went to church. Great. But where are you at in your life? What's God doing in you each and every moment? And then follow the Holy Spirit, not your sinful urges. You know what they are. This week, you're going to be aware of it. You're going to feel that self-protection, self-preservation, that selfish. You're going to feel that tug and that, that flutter in your heart. And in that moment, stop and say, okay, God, I need to take a moment and say, God, you direct me. Direct me toward the kind of life that you want to see flow out of me, not just for my good, but for the good of others. And next week, we'll have Jill kind of talk about more of what that can look like in very practical ways. If you're with us for the first time and if uh, you want to know more about the church, our connections area is outside. If this message or anything in this service brought up anything in you, you're like, I'd love to talk to somebody or have somebody pray with me or for me, we are gonna have our prayer team over here by the cross here and at Torrance, um, and we would love to uh, pray for you. Let me pray as we close our service today. God, thank you. Thank you for giving us a simple faith. Uh, Help us this week where we don't make it about us 
And we don't make it about trying to prove ourselves to you or trying to be right with you because we've done X, Y, or Z. Um, God, help us to rediscover a beautiful, intimate relationship with you that flows from something inside of us and then flows out to the good of other people. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, see you next week.